Hey, everybody. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome in. Week number four edition. That's right. Week number four. I don't know. I swear to you, every year uh, you get around this, like, man, how did three weeks go by in the NFL already? And yet it's already here. Four games already. Uh, well, the fourth game approaches this week as we break down what we saw in week number three, get you ready for week number four this week. Oh, man, I got some uh, some games, some stories. We can break them all down. But got a great guest for you today as well. A guy who I never got a chance to play with, but I loved his game. I wish I could have played with him, but he left the game right before uh, I got to the league. But the great cornerback, and I think, trust me, I think he's a Hall of Famer in my opinion. But Eric Allen, the former Raider, he's former uh, in Philadelphia Eagle, but he's right now currently the Raiders game day live analyst for Raiders.com. He's going to join total coverage in just a couple of minutes. He's going to break down the Raiders victory uh, over the Miami Dolphins in week number three. So I can't wait to talk to my guy, EA. Look, we're going to be previewing a couple games for week number four, but taking a, a look back at week number three, right? Josh Allen's performance, right? As the Buffalo Bills, they uh, kind of avenged the loss in week one. Now they've upped their record two and one. We're going to talk about his performance uh, against the Washington football team in week number two as well. We're going to get to Miles Garrett in that performance of the Cleveland Browns defense, or was it more of the Chicago Bears inept offense? But we're going to get to that as well. And then we had a treat. GOAT versus maybe the league's MVP. That's right. Tom Brady versus Matthew Stafford. We're going to talk a little bit about the matchup more so the Rams offense and what they were able to do against the Bucks defense. So we're going to cover that as well. And for me, you got to always know me. If you're listening to the total coverage podcast, always here on Sirius XM, you already know I'm about game winning situations, right? Situational football. That's what I love. That's what I grew up on. I learned the game. That's how I learned it. That's how I loved it. I feed it. Situational football is something that we are going to talk about and I can't wait to get to it, man. So always remember, you can reach the Total Coverage Podcast, right, on Apple, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you listen in. Remember, follow me at Kirk Morrison on Twitter, at Kirk Morrison on Instagram. And whew, here we go again. Buckle up, everybody. Here's that week four edition of Total Coverage. I mentioned that we had a treat, man. And look, he finally joins the program. I can't wait to talk to this guy. Look. He, he made the number 21 look so beautiful in that silver and black, but he also played for the Eagles, man. was just one of the outstanding cornerbacks, defensive backs in the National Football League is the current analyst for the Raiders on their game day live coverage on Raiders.com. He's the one and only Eric Allen. Man, Eric, first of all, man, great to be with you, brother. All the knowledge that you have, man. First of all, how are things going? How is uh, the analyst life treating you? <laughs> It's been good, man. It's, uh, as you know, the transition sometimes can be, you know, difficult for players, but uh, I had uh, the intentions of kind of, you know, being on this side of the camera for a long time. And fortunately, after my career ended, I was able to hop in and spend 15 or 16 years at the big network at ESPN yeah. and uh, did some college football for a while. But uh, just so happy to be here with the silver and black. Now we're in Vegas. Yeah, look at that. 14 seasons with the Eagles, Saints, Raiders, six-time Pro Bowl, a three-time All-Pro. Man, people don't know, man. Eric was a bad, <laughs> bad dude, man. But, you yeah. know, look, I mentioned uh, skidding back and, and watching as an analyst, as a former player. And 
you've been in these situations before in terms of expectations. And I say that because the expectation for the 2021 Raiders are that they can be good, but it's about what they do defensively. But now you've seen their offense is playing good. The defense is playing good. What do you think has been the key to this 3-0 and start for the Raiders? Well, obviously, you know, when we talk about the Raiders, you know, it first starts with Coach Grew and, and Derek Carr. I think they've been very consistent in how they try to attack defenses. And, again, I think the defense has really held them back so much because when you're being a play caller and you're worried about maybe giving the ball back to the opposing team's offense and knowing that your defense may not be able to hold up, I think you're going to be very cautious on some of the pause that you – you make and the timing that you make those calls, taking those big shots uh, this year, they're not so much worried about that. And that's why you see Derek Carr playing at, in my estimation, an MVP level. I mean, the two big throws he made have to begin at the end of the game. Uh, the last two weeks have been money, you know, one to Edwards, who's a young player. Of course, you got Waller, one of the best tight ends in the National Football League. How about Henry Ruggs last week showing wow. out? I mean, just did an <laughs> amazing job against one of the best cover corners in the league in Xavier Howard. So offensively, even without the running game, again, we don't have Josh, right? Josh yeah. is a, a, a Pro Bowl caliber running back. Offensive line is kind of, you know, new and kind of forming itself. Even with all that, offense is still cooking, just getting it done. So that goes to defensively. Kind of what was the difference here? And Gus Bradley coming in was a big time move. You got to go big, you know, in this league, you got to make some huge moves. Uh, Gus Bradley coming in with really just fortifying the responsibility of each player. So if I'm a player, just like you, if I go into a game and I understand what's expected of me and I practice that way and I understand what the defense is trying to do, trying to take away certain aspects of an offense, I'm going to be more successful. And that's what he's been preaching from day one. He's a high energy coach. He's brought along extremely talented and guys who can develop um, uh, younger players along with him. Ron Miles, one been in the league for 21 years as a defensive back coach, has had tremendous success. So that's kind of what's going on right now. You've got a good suit, a good um, jambalaya of great coaches <laughs> going big with. Uh, <laughs> going big with some of the players they brought over. So that's the reason why they're off to this 3-0 start right now. I think more impressive, though, Eric, is that they've won two of their three games in overtime, showing a willingness to not only uh, just be tough it out, but also playing great situational football in those aspects, right? We know overtime, it, it's, you know, it, it, anything can happen. But the way that they've won two <laughs> games in overtime – I, I, I did this. This isn't Raider football that we've seen over the past couple of years. This is actually turning up the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. And that's really, like really being resilient, right? And right. having some things that they can see early in a ball game. For instance, they ran, you know, the sprint right option is like legendary. I mean, it, it's been run since, you know, the 80s with Bill Walsh. So, you know, you get a slot right, your quarterback rolls right, you get a little rub route, you hit the, uh, slot five, six yard game for a first down. I mean, everyone, that's in everyone's playbook. Now right. you're starting to see, you know, things come off of that. The Chiefs run it to where, where they'll start right. And then the tight end will kind of pop out. He'll throw like the underneath pass for the touchdown. So with the skill set that Henry Ruggs has, they run like a sprint left option. So right. I mean, he's so fast, he'll find out, okay, 
what's the man-on-man situation? Derek Carr understands it. And then Henry Ruggs slips out the backside. So just the ability to be able to save plays, run them in timely situations, that's huge. And then the resilience of these players to be able to take it upon themselves. Again, for instance, end of the game, Trayvon Mullen, our cornerback, young guy from Clemson, yes. comes up with a humongous play at the end of the game, knocking down a post. The guy was wide open. So that showed he understood what was expected of him, showed his athleticism, his catch-up speed to be able to get there and make the correct play, get his head around and his arm through the catching pocket. So all those things kind of shows you offensively and defensively, these guys understand the system and the system and the personnel is working together. Yeah, I'm going to uh, ask you a, a couple more questions about the offense in a little bit, but I do want to stay right there on that defense. You mentioned it. They understand the system. They understand the scheme. And I remember this off this off season. The Raiders were like, man, we have to find guys who can rush the passer. And they start grabbing guys everywhere. I mean, they was looking under rocks and everywhere. And the addition of Unique Ngakwe has been a good one. But then you already had Matt Max Crosby on the outside. But then I've been impressed with Solomon Thomas, a former first round pick of the 49ers. They've moved him inside. You got Jefferson, Quentin Jefferson as well. Carl Nassib is a guy who hasn't necessarily been a, a standout pass rusher, but is definitely a guy who's in that rotation. Eric, tell me about this, this defensive line rotation that they got going that's putting heat on all of these quarterbacks. Oh, I'm so excited, man. Sometimes I'm in the box <laughs> and I'm jumping up because I see like a pocket collapsing. Let's yeah. first start with Max Crosby. Max Crosby really straightened up his life this offseason uh, and is really playing sober and dedicated all that time, all that knucklehead stuff he dedicated, right. you know, to getting better, his moves. And I think Nguakwe has been a godsend because he comes in, he brings practice tempo. So he's right. challenging guys in practice to be better. I mean, they're racing in practice, they're working on different pass rushing moves. You know, it's kind of like a race to the quarterback. And mm -hmm. then inside, I think that is critical to have that inside presence, that inside pass rushing. Hankins, Jefferson, Solomon Thomas have been tremendous as far as providing a consistent pass rush in yeah. the middle of the football field. And then you bring in Carl. Carl has had about four or five spectacular pass rushes at the appropriate time. So yeah. this offseason, all we really talked about Raider-wise was having waves of defenders kind of collapsing at the pocket. It's destroying the pocket and having that presence of four guys rushing a passer from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, in particular, being fresh in the fourth quarter. And with Max and Nguakwe just being so explosive and having so many dynamic moves that they're able to kind of collapse the pocket and get after it and make it chaotic back there for that quarterback. Unfortunately, this week, um, they, they weren't yeah. able, Brissette was able to get out a couple of times and we weren't <laughs> able to get it done. But again, just to have that presence for four quarters and you don't know where it's coming from. I mean, each week it's another, it's a different guy, you know, it's, a, it's yeah. Jefferson, it's Hankins, it's Crosby, it's in walkway. So, and as far as the defensive backfield is concerned, you have to love that to know that yeah. you're going to get a consistent pass rush. And that's the thing because Derek Carr going well and you have a pass rush where teams are going to have to try and throw the ball. That's going to work well in defensive favor. Now I, I know they play some pretty good hockey out there in Las Vegas as well with the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> So I only bring that up because it's like a hockey line change that they got. Man, the way them dudes is rotating <laughs> in and out there. But 
You know, you, you just mentioned that name, though, man, Derek Carr. And you were talking about he's playing at an MVP level. He's got some things that, uh, you know, maybe it's a little adversity going on in terms of not having Josh Jacobs the last couple of weeks. But I feel like he's proven the reason why he's an elite quarterback, why he's one of the top tier quarterbacks is because even when things are chaotic around you, Derek Carr makes things calm. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, he, he's really developed a outstanding uh, process. His, his thought process, he has a great memory, similar to what you got to have at corner. You got to you know have that great memory like, hey, take that picture of what the defense is giving you and then be able to get the information out quickly so your line can understand where the protections go, where your receivers are going to be. He right. has so much confidence at the line of scrimmage right now and that the play is going to be successful that's what's giving him and the rest of the team, particularly the receivers, opportunities to get open. And his accuracy has never been an issue. And that's the one thing that has really been the spotlight is mm -hmm. his ability to manipulate the pocket, manipulate the defense, and then throw the appropriate pass at the appropriate time, throwing guys open. And there's only a handful of guys in the league who are able to consistently do that. And that's even like, again, that's even without a running game in the beginning of the game. Now, at the end of the game, I think we are able to get some things going, more of a, a pin and, and pull situation on the offensive line. Our right. running backs, Barber, who came in, provided a great boost. But it all starts with Derek, and he has just been so hot. I think last uh, Sunday, he distributed the ball to nine different receivers. Yeah. So, of course, you have Waller. And then on third down – him and my man Hunter Renfro have been <laughs> yes. just uh, just completely on on point, man. They've been getting it done. So offensively, I'm not concerned at all. Hopefully, we get the running game going a little bit earlier. But you are definitely right. Derek Carr is balling right now, averaging 400 yards in the first three games of the season. Well, similar to college football, I said the Raiders' non-conference schedule or their non-division schedule is finished. Now the test comes as they get ready for these division <laughs> opponents now, Eric. Man, you've played in some of those battles against these AFC West opponents. You've played against the Chargers before in your career. What, what, what made that division game uh, – and I, I'll take the Chargers because that's the next opponent, but what made that game against the Chargers so special? Well, for me personally, I'm a San Diego guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. When yeah, I was growing always. up, yeah. <laughs> when I was, growing up uh, I was like the only – the Raider fan in the neighborhood, you know, so I rocked the 21 Cliff Branch, rest in peace. I love, you know, uh, Bolitnikoff and Stabler and Jack Tatum and my man Lester Hayes. I loved all those guys and the way they played football. So that was always a, just a game of two very talented skill position uh, teams that, you know, was going to be high flying, whether Lester was on John Jefferson and now it's just switched. So now we have a guy like Casey Hayward coming over from San Diego, Gus Bradley yeah. coming over from San Diego, Denzel Perryman coming over from San Diego. So they kind of understand the rivalry from that standpoint, but they're going to bleed the silver and black. So it's going to be really special being that new building with all those Raider fans, because you know we're going to represent <laughs> oh, yeah. Los Angeles. And again, <laughs> it's going to go back to that old school where the skill position players are going to be at a premium, and they're going to be going at it. So, you know, their young quarterback who is fantastic with all those skill position receivers against our back end, and I can't wait for, you know, uh, 
some of, you know, Henry Ruggs big time plays against Derwin James or Waller against Derwin James. So the matchups are going to be all over the place and it's going to come down to, I think, who has the ball last and then who wins a turnover battle. And see, that's the key right there. The turnover battle, which mm. the Chargers had four last week against the Chiefs, and we've been coming up with turnovers ourselves. So, again, whoever wins a turnover battle, whoever has the ball last, I think is going to win this game. Well, see, so you answered my question. What's your last thought as we do kind of yeah. preview <laughs> the Chargers and the Raiders? But I think you said it right there. That's yeah, You said yeah. it best. I'm a little bit ahead. You know, yeah. I get down. You know, I got, no, no, no. You know, I, I like that, to, though. Know, be prepared. No, I think but that's a great point. I'm glad the listeners out there can understand that. When you watch the Chargers play, it's who has the ball last. They had the ball last against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Same thing with the Raiders. They got the ball last. They made something happen with it. They won a game in overtime. So I know what I'll be looking for on Monday night, Monday night football, Raiders, Chargers in Los Angeles. And you can find Eric. He'll be on the coverage on the Raiders game day live coverage on Raiders.com. And Eric, man, we got to do this again, man. Good to see you again, brother. Yeah, for sure, man. Great seeing you, man. You do a great job, man. Go Raiders! Hi, everyone. I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. You know, one of the big surprises, I think, for this season has been the Cleveland Browns. Not necessarily the Browns because they're winning. I think we expected them to win. But I didn't expect for this defense to look as good as it did last week. But then I got to remember, they're playing against the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Come on, man. Chicago Bears. Yeah. You know, Justin Fields' first start as starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I think if Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator slash head coach for the Bears, would have thought this over, I'm not so sure he would have ran Justin Fields out there on that field against that Cleveland Browns defense. I know a lot of people have been talking about it all week long. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you've probably heard it on many different outlets, just how bad it was for Justin Fields. Was it a bad game plan by the Bears? Was it their offensive line? I had a chance to deep dive and watch that game in, in, in particular. And the one thing that really stuck out to me was that Miles Garrett may be the defensive player of the year. I think he was on the heels of it last year. I know TJ Watt had put his name in there, but ultimately it went to Aaron Donald. And we've seen Chandler Jones had that five sack game to start the season. But what I saw last week versus the the, uh, the Chicago Bears, I watched just how special Miles Garrett is as a football player. So I had to watch the game twice. And when I said watch the game, I watched just the defensive copy. Right. I watched, I said, I want to see what did the Cleveland Browns do to the Chicago Bears defensively. But I kept seeing one guy pop up over and over and over again. The guy that wears number 95 for Cleveland. The dude was all over the place. Seven tackles, four and a half sacks, four tackles for loss, six QB hits. 
Miles Garrett set the new franchise record of four and a half sacks. Okay. Franchise record, four and a half sacks in a game of Justin Fields. The Cleveland Browns total had nine sacks on Justin Fields and in their route of the 26 to 6 victory. Unreal. Garrett and the Browns held the Bears to 47 yards of offense. And just wanted to let you know, they had one net yard of passing. I'll explain that. People are like, no, Justin Fields threw for 68 yards. No. When you add up the amount of yardage he lost in getting sacked, that brought his passing total number down to where instead of in the 60s, it went down all the way to one. That's how it works. I played in a game like that, too, where quarterbacks had a bad day. We, we roughed them up a little bit. And, you know, I think honestly, I won a, won a game with a quarterback or we lost the game with a quarterback had a negative actual passing number. But anyway, that I, I digress. But what I am seeing is that this pass rush for the Cleveland Browns may get better and better as the season goes. Because when I watched that film, the one thing that stuck out, it's not just Miles Garrett in the way that he rushed the passer. He did that. He put Jason Peters, the left tackle for the Chicago Bears, he put him in a retirement, by the way. Yes, he is in retirement. Because if Jason Peters goes back out there again this week, man, this is going to be trouble. That I mean, Jason Peters, I think he's a Hall of Fame left tackle. But you just saw that, man, that age caught up with him quick. I think Jason Peters, what, 39? Miles Garrett is, what, 24, 25? That young bull beat an old bull over and over and over again. And it was the speed rush to the outside. And it was also the way they used Miles Garrett. He didn't always line up at right defensive end. He lined up at left defensive end. And then on the sack in which Justin Fields tried to escape the pocket, Miles Garrett was actually at the left defensive tackle who was able to, you know, kind of flip his hips. He gets inside and he chases down uh, Justin Fields. So that's another look for the offensive line. Because look, Miles Garrett is a game breaker. And when you have game breakers, when you come out of the huddle, what do you do? You locate where they're at, right? Just how you always hear quarterbacks say, oh, 52 is the mic. Oh, 95 is the right end. That's what you're doing to let and alert everybody we can't allow that guy to wreck the play. So what does the Cleveland Browns defensively do? They say, fine, we'll line him up at defensive tackle. And now you have Jadavian Clowney on one side, Tack McKinley on the other side, and you have Miles Garrett and his get off in the middle. So now everyone's like, okay, what do we do? Because if you put the attention on Miles Garrett in the middle, that means you collapse down. So now you're using your center, your guard, or both guards in the center and you're trying to stop him which leaves one-on-ones on the outside and if you watch the game you saw that one-on-one is what Tack McKinley has probably been one his whole career when he was at Atlanta didn't get a lot of one-on-ones seems to me the one-on-one this week was a lot better for him that's how he was able to get to the quarterback same thing the attention that's put on Miles Garrett also look Jadavian Clowney had a second about what five years well, more like a year and a half, two years. He had two, okay? He had two against the Chicago Bears. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The pressure that Miles Garrett puts on quarterbacks and defenses also helps out the other guys in their performances, right? So look, week one and two, the talented Browns defense, look, they show what they can be capable of 
with this combination of Garrett, Miles Garrett, and Jadavion Clowney. Okay. 15 hits as a team, right? That's what they had coming in uh, this past week. But when you think about what more they can do, I think that this may be one of the more formidable pass rushers, pass rushes in all of the NFL. Because you forget Tech McKinley was another high draft pick. We all know Jadavian Clowney was a number one overall pick. And we all know that Miles Garrett was a one overall pick. So you've got three guys along that front that can go get after the passer. Miles Garrett is the number one, right? He's public enemy number one. But if you take him away, it does lead to the one-on-ones for the other guy. It's a pick your poison. So you, if you play fantasy, make sure you go grab that Cleveland Browns defense because I love what they're doing along that defensive front. They're putting guys in different spots. They're making the defense. I mean, the offenses have to think where these guys at. And they've got another opportunity coming up in week number four as they travel to take on the Minnesota Vikings, man. I mean, this is going to be another, um, you know, a test for them. But they also have a quarterback that is not known for trying to get out of the pocket in Kirk Cousins, right? They, they, they don't, the, the Browns defense are kind of probably licking their chops right now, right? They're licking their chops. They are saying, uh-oh, we have a quarterback that likes to stand upright. We have a quarterback that likes to stay in the pocket and deliver the football. Miles Garrett, Tack McKinley, Jadavian Clowney will have fun this week. Because I know last week's performance was against a team that is struggling in terms of trying to figure out rhythm with their quarterback, whether it was Andy Dalton, Justin Fields. It was going to be bad. But the game plan, I thought, was bad for Justin Fields. And you just went against a defense that is a lot better than you are offensively right now. And so I don't want to take anything away from that performance because the Bears were so bad. I think that they really are a dominant defense. Miles Garrett really is the defensive player of the year, I think, this year. And he'll continue to be that because he's going to play in bigger games. He's going to get bigger matchups. We know they're going to play the Ravens, right? Um, you know, they've got the Steelers, right? They've, they've got some matchups upcoming that we are going to say, hmm, interesting how we look and view the Cleveland Browns. And it comes with another matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. If they keep racking these types of games up defensively, I can only imagine how good this defense will be because they're multiple along the front and they're also multiple at linebacker safety. They're getting guys back. They've drafted players well. That secondary is also one that you can say is one of the better defenses, uh, one of the better secondaries in the league. What they did in free agency last year in the draft. Man, I guess I just got too excited watching this film this week. And I think that it'll be another display of this greatness from Clowney, Garrett, and McKinley against the Vikings in week number four. After week one, we said, uh-oh, here we go again. The team that everybody's hyping up may not be the team that we thought they were. Yeah, that was the Buffalo Bills. That loss in week one to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, after three weeks in the NFL, we're still trying to investigate. How did that happen? How did the Steelers beat the Buffalo Bills? Because what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is what we expected with the Buffalo Bills. Now, especially week number three, Josh Allen's performance and this Bills offense against the Washington football team. I'll call them the WFTs. 32 of 43, 
358, four touchdown passing, one touchdown rushing, and it was just a route for the Washington for the Bills over the Washington football team, 43-21. Josh Allen is back to being what we expected him to be. He signed a big contract this offseason, and we saw in week one, we said, whoa, 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 that doesn't look right. But he was able to get things together. And it, Josh Allen had his fifth career game with four passing touchdowns and 300 yards, breaking the team record that was once held by Jim Kelly. Buffalo has their quarterback. Buffalo has their man. Buffalo has their guy. But what I'm more impressed with is how Josh Allen keeps doing things that a lot of people said that he couldn't do. He set a new franchise record for rushing touchdown. He's already got 26 in his short NFL career. Look, he's had his struggles in the first couple games, right? His completion percentage, yeah, under 60. But Josh Allen is a, not a I won't call him feast or famine quarterback, but he's a guy who's going to take chances. He's not afraid to throw in tight quarters. He's not afraid to throw the ball deep. You need guys who are not afraid to miss a pass. That's what he is. He's not afraid to miss. Because all the shooters said you can't make if you don't shoot. That was games one and two. But game three, this past Sunday, yeah, he was 74%. So look, he was able to finally get in rhythm. He connected with eight different receivers on Sunday with Cole Beasley leading the team with 11 receptions. Emmanuel Sanders, number one, yeah, that's where he wears number one, had two touchdowns. To me, sometimes it takes a little bit to figure out what your identity is for the season. People can say what you're going to be. Oh, this Buffalo Bills team, they're going to play great defense and they're going to run the football and Josh Allen's going to take a couple shots down the field. Well, that's what you would expect. Does it necessarily always happen? No, because I think offensively, this team is still finding what their 2021 identity will be. Right, this running game, I think, is going to be take paramount because that's who they really are. And always remember, for me as a former Buffalo Bill, a little easy to throw the ball around a ballpark in September and October, then we know what it looks like in in late November and December. And now we know with the NFL playing into January, how cold it will be. You're not going to be able to throw the football like you once did in the early months of the year. That's why I think watching the Bills win the games that they have so far from running the football and throwing the ball is going to be make huge, huge dividends to, I think, at the end of the season. Right now, look, they host the Texans next week. Right? Yeah, oh, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy one, but look, man, the Texans are been not a good football team, but they'll be out there. And so a lot of people are going to look at how good can this Bills team be? Are they the best team in the AFC? Yeah, I know the Raiders are 3-0. Broncos are 3-0. But with Kansas City losing its second game, dropping to 1-2, and two, seeing what's going on in the AFC North, and we talked a little bit earlier about the Cleveland Browns, is it really far-fetched to think that Buffalo is now the best team in the AFC? And I am one that's saying I think that they are. I think they are because we know how their quarterback reacts in the big moments. They've got a ton of talent. They've got a, they, an outstanding play call. They have it all. And so I think that one game was an anomaly, and they will continue to show everybody why I think they're the best team in the AFC. I think they could be hosting a conference championship game. That's how good this team can be, right? They are now the team to beat in the AFC. They are. 
I'm just not sold on Buffalo. I'm not Buffalo. I'm sorry, Denver, the Broncos. Look, they've won. They're three and zero, but they played who? The New York Giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets. You think that they're for real? No, I need to see more. Same thing for the Raiders. Raiders are three and zero, but two overtime games, right? And then, you know, a win over <laughs> um, uh, a, a team in Pittsburgh that we we're like, is this for real? Are they a real team this year? Ben Roethlisberger. So I'm kind of on that fence right now of saying. The Buffalo Bills are the best team. But then I look at Cleveland. I don't want to downplay them in that defense. So it could be 1A, 1B. But what I am seeing is that where do I rank Josh Allen? And watching those throws, the way he runs the football, everything that he's doing, where do I rank Josh Allen at, people? Is he top five in the NFL right now? I think so. Or very close to it. I don't know how you rank quarterbacks. But where do you put Josh Allen? I'd love to hear from you guys, too, on that one at Kirk Morrison on Twitter because he keeps elevating his play. And as I look at the early favorites for the MVP so far, I'm going to put in a guy who we'll talk about in a little bit, Matthew Stafford. I'll put him in there. I'll also put in the guy we already talked about, Derek Carr, so far to this program. He's in that conversation. But why not Josh Allen? Can he be in that conversation? I think he can. I really think he can. Because at the end of the day, he's going to be the one with the last flag, right? He's that kind of player. And if any indication of what we saw on Sunday, the way that he torched the Washington football team, I think we can definitely put him back in that same category as a top, not put him back, but put him in that category of one of the top five quarterbacks in the National Football League. I know he's getting paid like one, but I think overall, he really is a number one quarterback in this league. Celebrate Live is Alive. Sirius XM is giving current subscribers the chance to win two tickets to 12 of the biggest events on the 2022 sports calendar, plus cash for travel costs and expenses. One winner and a guest will get the chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56, the NBA Finals, and the World Series, courtesy of Sirius XM. For official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash Ultimate Sports Fan. No purchase necessary. Open to current SiriusXM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. Ends October 15th, 2021. Void where prohibited. I told you earlier, right? Goat versus a guy who's in a new scene. We didn't know what it was going to look like, but man, you talk about an outstanding matchup in week number three between the Buccaneers and the Rams. That's right. It was just a week three matchup, but it pitted up two teams that were at the time 2-0. But it was Tom Brady's first game in Los Angeles, and I could not wait to see, hey, how was it going to play out? How would Tom Brady, the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, come in and play against the Los Angeles Rams. And that was the storyline going in. But very quickly, watching that game, you saw that the storyline changed. It became how Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay and that Rams offense went against that Buccaneers defense. It was what they did to me throughout this game that really had me saying, wow, because I believe in the Buccaneers defense. If you watched them all of last year, especially in their performances in the playoffs, against obviously Aaron Rodgers in this conference championship game. And then 
what they did to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, they returned everybody back. And also they returned back Vita Vea, who missed part of this, most of the season and didn't start in the Super Bowl, but he found a way to get to, to play, contribute. And then you watched him throughout this uh, early part of the season. I couldn't wait to see this matchup, right? The Rams offense versus the Buccaneers defense. Well, the Rams offense put up 407 yards, 331 through the air, the 76 yards rushing, but they only sacked, right? They only were sacked one time. Matthew Stafford only sacked one time. Now, I do want to put it out there that Jason Pierre-Paul did not play. Shaq Barrett was neutralized, and they didn't really necessarily have the pass rush. But what I did see was another game that Matthew Stafford, 27 of 38, 343, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I want people to realize Matthew Stafford started this game one for six. And I sensed that there was a bit of anxiousness, maybe even some nervousness in this game for Matthew Stafford. But yet he was able to just calm his nerves a little bit and went on a tear. I think he made his next, completed his next like eight passes. And then you just started to see him being fine-tuned with this offense, showing that this offense was never broken. Maybe it probably was with Jared Goff at times, but it hasn't seemed to be broken with Matthew Stafford. Case in point, the Rams went 10 of 15 on third down. 10 of 15 on third down. I think a lot of it, what had to do with it, was that Todd Bowles playing a lot of man-to-man, playing a lot of man-to-man coverage versus the Rams who had man-to-man beaters. They put guys in stacks. They put guys in bunches. They forced the Buccaneers secondary to have to communicate. And nobody wanted to banjo. Banjo is a term that we say nobody wanted to pass off, right? Banjo means, hey, the guy steps to my side, I got him. He goes to your side, you got him. And if he comes down the middle, I'll go ahead and take him. That's where you saw players on the outside and inside. Look, Jamel Dean, a corner, he goes down early on. And so now you got the Buccaneers, one secondary guy down, defensive back down, and now the communication is not there. This is not the offense that you want to have communication breakdowns. You don't. Because when you do, that's when you have bad things happen. And then, if you don't believe me, Deshaun Jackson has been in this league for a long time. He had three catches for 120 yards and one touchdown. There were two other opportunities in this game that Matthew Stafford could have linked up with Deshaun Jackson, but one was underthrown. Another one was just missed, but they finally got the 75-yard bomb because the Buccaneers continue to play man coverage, single safety, and they caught him napping by giving a look and influencing the safety to have to try to cover Deshaun Jackson on what would have been a post route or a over drag route, but yet Deshaun converted it to a sort of a fade, and that's when Matthew Stafford found him for that 75-yard bomb. And then you throw in what Cooper Cup has been able to do, nine catches this week, 20, uh, 96 yards, two touchdowns. He's got 25 catches already in the beginning of this season. This Rams offense is high powered. And I thought that the Buccaneers were going to try to do what? Make them one-dimensional. They try for the most part at times, but Sony Michelle, who's playing in place of Daryl Henderson, had 20 carries for 76 yards. Sometimes I always say this. It, it may not be about the yards, it's about the touches. And Sony Michelle, those 20 touches, they add up. They really do. 
they add up throughout a game because you're making the defense have to be honest. I didn't believe that the Buccaneers were going to give up a ton of yards to the run game. With Vita Vea, with those linebackers, Devin White, Levante David, that stout defensive front, William Golston, they've got guys. They know how to play, plug and play, and stop the run. But the Rams still were being stubborn about running the football. And they ran it effectively to a point where it did open up the play action pass. It opened up those outside routes. It opened that the corners had to play off just a little bit because they would have to fill in on the run. That's why Cooper Cup was able to go out and handle business, right? So now you're seeing that the way that Matthew Stafford is playing the quarterback spot, is he the right fit for this Rams offense? I know I sure think so. I think so just because you look at the way that he disperses the football. Everybody gets involved. Everyone. I mean, we talked about Cooper Cup. We talked about Deshaun Jackson. But then you start to throw in some other guys who I think don't get enough. Tyler Higby, tight end. He had another touchdown. He's had five grabs for 40 yards, and yet he got a touchdown as well. Van Jefferson, the second-year player, was a rookie last year, four catches, 42 yards. But I said it before. I can look at all the Rams stats and I say, well, they've got the guys who can do the dirty work, the hard work, the route runners. And then when you try to overcompensate for that, you have Deshaun Jackson and he's at a point in his career. He doesn't want the big play. I mean, he doesn't, I'm sorry. He doesn't want the 15 catches a game. He's not that player anymore. He's not 10 catches a game kind of player. But he had a monster game, yet he only had three catches. Just so happens that those three catches went for 120 yards. That's what this offense is going to be. It is going to be high-flying, fast-paced, but they're also able to slow it down and run the football when needed. And they're only going to get better offensively. That's why I think things are going to click. They are going to continue to get better and better. And they were able to neutralize that defensive front for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is how I know, and I'll leave it with this before we have to get to our next game, but I knew it was a good day when we did not call in Dominican Sue's name one time. That's how dominant the Rams offense was. We did not say in Dominican Sue's name one time. And why? <laughs> it's just because that Rams offensive line was able to neutralize everybody. Got to say, it's one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. They've only only been sacked one time in three games. Outstanding job and an outstanding performance by the Rams offense versus the Bucks defense. I'm all about game-winning situations or situational football, that is. Because situational football is part of the game. I learned it at an early age. I learned it, well, at an early age, I guess, as my rookie year. I had coaches who taught me the game. And so much goes into the final minutes where games are won, where games are lost. And we saw in week number three, two games sort of come down to the end. And it's about execution. It's about time management. And in these scenarios, you kind of have to live with the result on both ends. And in particular, I'm talking about the Lions versus the Ravens, right? And I'm talking about the Green Bay Packers versus the 49ers. So you have two game-winning situations. 
The Ravens got the ball, 104 left on the clock, trailing 17 to 16 to the Lions. And you're like, uh-oh. I know the people in Detroit are saying, no, not us, not us again. But the play of that game, so many people are going to talk about Justin Tucker and his NFL record, 66-yard field goal to win the game. That's cool. That's fine. I get it, right? 66-yard field goal, never been done before. Justin Tucker will go into the Hall of Fame. He'll go into the record books. He's one of the best kickers of NFL history. But what's not talked about enough is that the Lions gave up a conversion on fourth and 19 to the 36-yard line, which, I mean, on, sorry, on a 36-yard pass from Lamar Jackson to Sammy Watkins. That's what got the ball to the Detroit 48-yard line. It's the fourth and 19 conversion that allowed for the play to happen. The Detroit Lions knocked that ball away or they played greater coverage in that situation, they win the game. And now we're not talking about a 66-yard field goal to beat you. You gotta be have better coverage. They did not have the coverage that was needed. I would always say this, if I know it's fourth and 19 games on the line, yeah, I'm probably gonna keep a spy for Lamar Jackson and I'll tell all my players, why not line up on the 19 or, or where the first down marker is? Line up at the first down marker because the only thing that hurts you is somebody who gets behind you. Anything gets in front of you, you tackle. They didn't do that. They didn't tackle what was in front of them. And that's how Sammy Watkins was able to get the conversion catch. And then the rest is history. Teaching moment, know where the sticks are know where the opponent has to get to. You don't have to line up at five yards from the scrimmage. If, would you laugh if I lined up 13, 14 yards off the ball? No, because you need 19. I'm not going to give you 19. I'm going to make sure that you get 16. I'll tackle anything 18 yards and above. That's where the Lions missed out on a golden opportunity. But now you can flip over to the other game, Green Bay. San Francisco. And you just knew that with 37 seconds left, that Aaron Rodgers had enough time with no timeouts. And these are the situations that you practice in, you know, throughout training camp and on Fridays in the NFL. That Friday's a two-minute day. But you practice these situations for executing the game. And if there's anybody who I trust probably to put me in a situation to win a game with this kind of time left is Aaron Rodgers. And with 37 seconds left, he completed two passes. Two passes to guess who? Devontae Adams. Now look, I'm not the smartest guy, I would say, but let's be honest. 37 seconds left, I'm trying to drive down and win the game. Guess what? Somebody else is gonna have to beat me. Someone else on the Packers is going to have to make a play because I for sure am not letting Devontae Adams catch a football. Well, they did. So just think about that in perspective. I can't let him catch the football. I'm not gonna let Devontae Adams beat me. So if I have to double team, triple team, and go one-on-one -on -one with, one -on -one with everybody else, that's fine. If I get beat by someone else besides Devontae Adams, I'll walk across the field, shake Matt LaFleur's hands and say, hey, job well done, you guys beat us. But to back-to-back -back plays for Devontae Adams to catch a 25-yard pass, 17-yard pass, 
And that was done with about 25, 30 seconds because they got on the ball and they were able to spike the football, got the ball right where they needed to, a 33-yard line. And Mason Crosby comes in, kicks the 51-yard field goal. All that hard work, 60-minute ball game came down to 37 seconds. Just think about that. A football game that's played for 60 minutes came down to the final 37 seconds. And in both games I just mentioned, it's all about situation. You win the situation, you win the game. Detroit, they won the situation with a deep field goal, but it was what they did before the field goal that was not talked about enough. The fourth and 19 conversion. And with 37 seconds left, two completions, 25 and 17, to their best player offensively, other than Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. And they win the game, the Packers, over the 49ers with that 51-yard field goal. <laughs> That's the world that we live in, people. The situational football world. It's not talking about it enough, but man, it is tough. Wins and losses, got to figure it out, man. So we'll see what this week brings of week number four coming up situations at the end always i'll find more more plays and scenarios and situations i love talking about these with you guys Whew. all right that's enough for today uh that's been a week three edition of the total coverage podcast man remember you can always find this podcast on apple stitcher or wherever you get your podcast make sure you hit that 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 tab wherever you find your podcast type in total coverage and that's where you'll find me, Kirk Morrison, man. So I can't wait to have week four. We got some big matchups already, man. Thanks again to my guest, Eric Allen. He was fantastic. Got that big matchup in week four, Monday night, Raiders, Chargers. I know that's going to be fun. I should be in attendance for that one, too. So I'll give you my thoughts on that. I'll give you my thoughts on, yes, Tom Brady returning to New England. Yes, that probably will be one of the games that we'll be talking about as we break that one down as well next week on week number four edition of the Total Coverage Podcast. So again, can't wait to hear from you all this week and catch you uh, next week right here on the Total Coverage Podcast. Good football, y'all. Total Coverage is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Mike Kinahan. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And special thanks to Sirius XM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts. <laughs>